Welcome to Initiative Roll, a Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons, Season 2. I'm your host, Logan Johnson. And I'm your Dungeon Master, Nathaniel Johnson. I'm so happy to be back. It's it's good feeling. It's what good can feeling. I say? What can I say? You know, we actually got some reception to Season 1. Critical and fan. Right. Uh, they unequivocally agreed not enough Shrek in the cast. Nope, I don't think they agreed that. <laughs> I do not think that was an agreement. Though we did actually have a surprising base of listeners. There were people who I ran into semi-regularly who knew me personally and said, I was listening to your podcast the other day. Yeah, that day. was wild, huh? Yeah. That's some bizarre stuff. I actually had that on the 4th of July. One of my wife's cousins was like, who's like 14, was like, so I was listening to your podcast the other day. Yeah, see, here's the thing. That whole business actually turned me reclusive. Um, had to get away from the, the fame and fortune right, that right, was chasing right. me around. Uh, hence the hiatus between season one and season two. But we are back. Yeah, and we're, we're ready to roll. We've uh, decided to try and do our best to amp up the production quality a significant bit. Uh, yeah. So you might notice some structural changes. If you have feedback, we'd love to hear about it. We would love to hear about it. But we're going to go into the first section of our show today, which is what we're calling world building. This is just where we talk about where you build your world, you build your campaign, build adventures, and we will just talk about a different topic in this section every time today. And hopefully you like what you hear. I know I'm excited to talk about it. Absolutely, absolutely. So for the world building section today, we wanted to kind of dive into world building at a little bit of a superficial level, but not quite as general as we have in previous casts. Right. Uh, we, we wanted to talk specifically today about NPCs. Um, and how you can use NPCs effectively uh, when you make them, what the process is, and kind of how it goes. So I guess I'll start off asking you, Nathaniel, why do you use NPCs? Well, so I use NPCs because they are what make Dungeons & Dragons, in my opinion, or any tabletop role-playing game, different from just a board game. If you play a board game, then there's a set of rules that you follow, and there's a task to accomplish, and you do it, and that's it. Having an NPC, a character that you can interact with, is something that sets the game apart from those other games. It's what takes it from just a strategy warfare game to a role-playing game. Right, right. Something that Todd Howard over at Bethesda has just figured out. Um, you may have to clarify that I'm just me. alluding to the fact that the most recent Fallout game had no NPCs until its most recent expansion. Ah. Which is like a big thing in Fallout. Anyway. Um, but yeah, NPCs are effective as ways of drawing storytelling out in either really small specific cases or in weaving the larger plot overall. Right. And I think that it gives the players an opportunity to flesh out their characters and to do things with their players. 100%. With their characters. I meant to say that. Correctly. Yeah, no, it's good, it's good. Just bringing that crunchy audio into yeah, season crunch, two. Yeah, crunch, 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 crunch. Mm. We're off to a great start. Man, do you have any Thin Mints? I could go for bucks of Thin mm. Mints right now. That'd really just treat our listeners so right. That really would. That, that's actually, they're they're like ASMR videos. Like, people like that, actually. Yeah? Maybe that, that's, that's what funny. we should have done. Initiative Roll, season two, ASMR edition. I'm your dungeon master. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Why did you have to say it like that? <laughs> No, but uh, that's what I think NPCs are for. They're good for players to bounce off of. They give, they give the world life. 
no, in ways absolutely. that board games don't. Absolutely. I use NPCs because I'm a writer. Okay, so talk more to me about that. So you need characters to build any world out. Like, even when you're writing nonfiction, you need to have a good fix on what the human element of your story is. Um, you, all the best rec- reporters on the best beats have the human element of their space down. I read a really interesting New York Times piece about glitter and the manufacturing of glitter, which is nuts, by the way. Yeah, it turns out nobody actually knows what it is, which is the craziest thing ever. Um, but anyway, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. If you, if you Google what is glitter, I'm pretty sure the New York Times article is still the first thing to come up, which it, it's nuts. But... One of the big characters in that piece is, first of all, the reporter herself as a character in the piece. And then she talks to a very particular executive in a glitter company. One of the glitter companies, first of all, refused to speak to her. And then the other main character in this piece is this other glitter executive that she got to talk to and sit down with. Huh. Um, Yeah, but it's interesting because of the human element that drives it and the characters that are a part of that story. Also crazy interesting because nobody knows what glitter is, and that's fascinating. We also don't know which industry uses glitter the most. We have no idea. The glitter industry won't tell us. I have to read this article. Yeah, no, it's nuts. It's a good read. It's got to be the U.S. military, right? Like, <laughs> I think it's the food industry. Ah, okay. I think it's food. Um, but, um, but the human element and the characters are what make that story more compelling and more interesting than just a fact sheet about what glitter is and where it comes from. Right. Yeah. Using the stereotypical Dungeons and Dragons example, if you go into a dungeon after a dragon, that could be fun. But what if there's a town of villagers nearby that the characters get to know and interact with? Get more granular than that, though. Sure. (laughs) Granular like glitter. Let's go deep. (laughs) Let's go deep into glitter. What What if instead of being a town of villagers, there's the tired village mayor who's actually a washed-up monster hunter himself, who just can't deal with the dragon anymore. See, I'm already just kind of invested That's in this character. What if, what if he has a daughter who's been bound to a wheelchair her whole life, and all his goal is is to make life good for her, but now he can't leave the house to go hunt monsters? And he needs a group of adventurers to go. That is way more interesting than a town and some dungeons and some dragons. Right. right. The second you start adding characters, you start adding human elements, you start adding human pain and human emotion into the mix, things become infinitely more interesting. Which brings us to the next question. If you use an NPC in your campaigns, which you should, yes. let me make that abundantly clear. Even if they're like, if you want to have a tropey campaign that's like Dungeons and Dragons, use pasteboard NPCs that are made of nothing. But if you do use NPCs, how much effort do you put into making them? So I'm kind of terrible and I don't put a lot of effort yes. into it. Yes. Wow, I feel <laughs> called out. Wow, that got embarrassing for a second. I did not mean to agree so heartily, but yet here we are. You know, I like season two of Initiative Roll because it's raw, it's real, <laughs> it's, it's real. unscripted. Um, actually, it's more scripted than it's ever been. Totally is. <laughs> uh, but no, I. that's my biggest flaw as a dungeon. I would 100% agree with you. And that's actually what I'm going to be working on. We'll talk about it a little more in the bar corner, but that's what I'm going to be working on the most. Call me when we get there. I will. As a dungeon master. So I don't put nearly enough effort into them. Although I know you and a little bit about your process. 
You put way more effort into it, oh, and it man. shows. It's put, so good. I put, I mean, there's a reason, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the Barge Corner, but we're running an adventure right now that is done over, over Discord Messenger chat, so it's, a, it's an away game, like a type and play. Right. And I sometimes take days to edit that. Because Drives I'm, me crazy sometimes. Because I'm hatching characters, or sometimes just really tired. Because it takes me a long time to write two paragraphs in that chat. So, but yeah, I put a lot of time sorry, into Greg. it. Sorry, Greg. Sorry. Greg, we're sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I put a lot of time into making that sh- those characters because they're the, what makes the world interesting. We actually it's so interesting. We haven't fought a monster in the in the game yet. No, we'll talk more, we'll talk probably about that one most yeah. in depth in the bar. Yeah, it's all NPCs though right now. All yeah. of it. The whole the whole it's premise. Super good. I'm really excited for what we've got in the Bard's Corner today for that. But so how much effort do you put into making them when you make them? Well it's funny. I said a lot. It's actually not much. Okay. Um but it's that's because I'm practiced at this point. Sure. Right? Because I, I spent so much time and effort in high school writing fantasy and writing fiction and reading fiction and listening to fiction and making sure. fiction and creating fiction and drawing fiction and inhaling fiction and living <laughs> fiction and breathing Having fiction. it pumped straight into your bloodstream and, right along with your heroin and cocaine. Yes, and then swimming down to the Gungan village of fiction and meeting all the fiction Gungans. and Do not reference the Gungans <laughs> from Star Wars. Don't do it. Uh, well, Misa loves some Gungans, all right? <laughs> I don't know how we got on Gungans, but I spent a lot of time. I spent, I have spent a lot of time making NPCs. Okay. And so making them now is actually a lot easier for me, and it's even easier when I remove it from a fantasy setting. So what's your process then? A name first. Why? Um, a name informs a lot about a person. Now that seems that's not true. Weird, yeah. Because sometimes I don't do the name first. What do I do first? What do I need first? I think is a better question. Okay. Okay, so let's let's we're gonna have to dive a little bit into the campaign we're doing over Discord to understand my process a little bit better. Okay. So I won't go into specifics, but your player character came up to the public library. Takes place in 1992 in Louisiana. Right. In a fictional town called Cordefleur. That's about all you need to know about the campaign. Your character walks up to the public library, and outside, who does he meet? He meets like a gardener, caretaker. Yeah, like I, a, a well, gardener. Actually, I don't know that he is. No, he is. That's but he's fact. gardening. Yeah, he's gardening. He's gardening in, in the flower beds. He's, uh, a, he's a gardener. Because he of his relationship with other characters, he may not be being paid for this. Yes, it's that's correct. That is correct. Uh, he's a gardener. So he, he comes up and, and meets a gardener. So let me di- let me dive into a little bit into this scene. Because you've alluded that there's actually a lot going on with this character. There's a ton right? going on with this character. Um, this character who didn't exist before he walked up to the library. So let me tell and you... And I that. don't know how much I care about this character. He's pretty low tier yeah, he's, for me. he's not that important, actually. But he's fascinating. But he could be. But he could be. So I don't let's know go if on to it. Or not. So let me give you the process. So your character, uh, Dylan, walks up to the library, and I don't know why, but I was feeling punchy that morning. I didn't want you to go in the library. Uh, so I put a closed sign on the library. Right. Like, uh, uh, librarians out for lunch will be back soon sign. But the problem is, if I do that, I've dead-ended you as right. a player, right? Um, and so I put this gardener there as a character you could interact with, right? This harkens back to, like, old-school, like, there used to be these old Scooby-Doo mysteries you'd play on PC. Oh, gosh, yes, I remember those. Yeah. They were bad. They, well, they're bad, and the, the reason they're bad is because of bad design. Bad design that I'm actually employing here to great effect. Right. The theory is that 
you there's a very specific set of events that need to be accomplished in a very specific order. Uh, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, is another video game that's a lot like this. But it does it well, doesn't it? Mm. It does it okay. It does it okay. You have to go to a place, then go to another place and talk to a person, and then come back to that first place in order to do the thing. Right, because right. now you have more information. Or an item. Or an or item. Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really old way of designing games, and Phoenix Wright is an old game, so it makes sense. Sure. Um, but that's essentially what I did here, is I gated off where you actually wanted to go and created something else for you to do there. Right. And so the very first thing I did was create this guy as a gardener. So you're saying that what you did, and is this how you always do it? You said, no, but yes. Yes. But And you start out with, where am I and what do I need? Right? As the player? As the dungeon master. Okay. So what's the scene? The scene is a locked library. What do I need? I need a character here for them to interact with. Because this sign is going to block them from interacting with any other character that they want to do. Like, it's going to save him, it's going to stop him from going and reading books in the library, right? Sure. So what do I need? I need a character that he can engage with. Well, if there's a sign out, I don't have a ton of options. I can create a loiterer. Right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I can create somebody else who's waiting for the library to open. But, I mean, even in 1992, that feels like a stretch. Right. right? Particularly at, like, noon. Right. On a Saturday. Um... Or I can create somebody who's working in that space. Right. Who has to be there. Right. Okay. Then the gardener is born. Let me give you another example of how I create them. Well, actually, we'll just keep going on this thread, because if I go on another, it's going to take too long. Sure. Then the next thing you need is probably a name, because it's probably the first thing they're going to ask. So this character's name is Jacques Thibodeau, which is like a really good, nice, strong French name. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. And I just gave him that name. I actually wanted him to be called Jack. In fact, in fiction, everybody calls him Jack. Did you just decide that? No. Oh. His wife calls him Jacques when she's mad at him. <laughs> but everybody calls him Jack in fiction. You just never got to that part. Fair enough. Um, and I may never. You may never, because it might not be important. But it's things like that. You just have to decide things about that. People have nicknames. People have jobs. He's actually not a gardener. Dylan asked, are you a gardener? Which seems like a pretty dumb question to ask. So, kind of what you were saying with yes and no? Right. Nobody's ever just a gardener. Sure. So instead of saying, yeah, I'm a gardener, which kills dialogue and makes him totally uninteresting, you say, yes, and. So, right. yes, this week I'm a gardener, and I was a handyman repair last week, and the week before that I was doing AC repair. And the week before that, I was doing television repair. I pretty much go wherever I'm needed. It's way more interesting than, yeah, I'm pulling some weeds here. Can't you see that, you dumb character? Why did you ask if I'm a gardener, Right, Dylan? Because it was a dumb character move. I intentionally did that because that's how I played Dylan. But right, but you have it, to... But it's a dumb question, and it stunts progression in the story very easily. So how much effort do I put into making them? Not a lot, but it's not a lot several times over a very long period of time. Sure. And that can be hard to do if you're sitting down at a tabletop and playing, but for a remote play, it's worked out well. Right. And if you have characters designed beforehand for your campaign that you can just drop where you think it's appropriate, you can do it very easily. Yeah. The other thing that I think would be worth mentioning here is uh, the yes and no principles here. If you don't want players to get something done at that time, Tell them no, but give them something else that does happen that moves things along. Don't just dead-end them. 
even if it's a bad thing that you do, make sure that something yeah. is moving the story forward. Yeah, the more options you can give them, the better. In fact, at the time that I closed the library, I had opened three restaurants to you, yeah. plus the option to go to any other restaurant, like for you to create a restaurant in this city right. and go to it, plus I had given, I'd created this gardener at right. that point. Like I'd given you so much else to do that the library is barely even a barricade at that point. Right. It's obviously where my character wanted to go, but he had an NPC to work with. And when you stuck around to wait for the library to open, I opened the library. Right. And that made sense at that time. So what do you consider the best thing that an NPC can achieve? What, what's, your, what's your dream for an NPC? My dream for an NPC is for them to have a significant moment that is emotional that they interact with the character. Any w one moment and the NPC is, has exceeded my wildest expectations. Let's, let's talk about uh, a particular character that we were, we were playing with. Um, actually, I don't think I'm going to be able to remember her name. But it's just it's telling of how I treat my NPCs. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can pull this bad boy up. So in, in the Monster of the Week... That's the game we're playing. We're actually not playing Dungeons and Dragons in this. In the Monster of the Week campaign we're playing, uh, the idea is that you actually only fight one monster over the course of the adventure. Right? Mm -hmm. Over the course of essentially the whole campaign, theoretically. Right. Um, and then you, your next campaign is, is kind of a refresh of that idea. It's, it's based off of the old TV serial concept where you would have your heroes and they would face, face a new monster each week on the episode. And you could just watch any episode and didn't need the backstory. Right. Anybody who's familiar with, like, uh, Supernatural or The X-Files or, or shows like that would, would be familiar with this, this idea. Um, so, back in, in the last transition we did, so we switched between characters fairly regularly because you two haven't met up yet. Uh, I have a character... Oh, wow. Okay. I still can't remember the name of this character, but in the scene I described two teenagers kissing in a forest and the effect that the monster has on them, right? There's no player characters here at this time. I'm setting a scene. Yeah. And essentially what I do is I have the monster not attack them, but just touch the girl on the shoulder and she gets a red welt. And that is conducive to a feeling. Yep. I think I read that around midnight laying in bed, and yeah. I was like, holy crap, I'm terrified. Yeah, because this... No name. Uh, well, we call her Catahoula Kate now. No, 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 not... Oh, over no, she has a name. The NPC, in, a te in the text, she has a name. Oh, okay. I can't remember it. Sure, but... And it is at a different part. I, I revealed it during the party. She ran off with the football player. Not super important Whatever his right name now. is. I... There's too many. I'm losing track. But I have a spreadsheet. We have a spreadsheet. Uh, but yeah, that's another thing I recommend, by the way. Spreadsheets. <laughs> get spreadsheets. Everybody gets spreadsheets. So for me, the best thing that an NPC can achieve, it's the worst. It's the worst thing. But for the, char for the players to be visibly upset if that NPC dies... And I mean, it's not that I want NPCs to die, it's that I want players to have that much of an attachment sure. to an NPC that if this character would die, they'd be frustrated in some capacity. Totally. Totally. I, uh, I wonder what would happen were I to kill fan favorite 
Emma. No. No. No, don't do it. Don't kill Emma. No. <laughs> By the way, it's Brent and Allison. Brent and Allison, you know, thank you. I, I just found the text. I love I love finding the things I wrote in this campaign. Like, yeah, I saw an animal go into the woods. She grins wickedly. Brent just took Allison away from the party. And let me tell you, that guy is an animal. <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> and Yeah, so they had names. Uh but none of that's important to me. Keep track of that in a spreadsheet. You know? Totally keep track of that in a spreadsheet. Um, we'll probably talk about keeping track of NPCs in a spreadsheet on a totally different episode. Yeah, there's a lot of good systems you can use. But that's what I think. Emotional moments, things that make them connect with characters. Yep. Even if they get just one. Yep. I think it's worth it. I think it's, I think it's worth it. I agree. Let's move into our second section of the show today. Uh, we have a behind-the-screen section. Uh, if it is that what we're calling it? Can well, we're calling... We, can we please... That was a workshop name. Our most dedicated listeners will know. We almost called the podcast that. Behind the Sabrina screen. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I forgot. That was like the first bit on this show. Yep. Behind the no, Sabrina but this screen. is our behind the screen section. So behind the Sabrina screen. Behind the Sabrina screen. Uh, let's call... Let's talk about establishing DCs. So die checks. Difficulty class. I've heard it both ways. Okay, well, the 3.5 handbook called them difficulty classes. And I think it's valuable to recognize that they are. Die check is a good name for it, too. Both of them are good to know. So, when do you call for either a die check or a difficulty class check? When do you say, when does a player say to you, oh, I want to try and do this, and you say, here's the time to roll the dice? You know where I draw the line? You'll love this. Can I, Logan Johnson, America's Rascal, do this thing? That's how you draw the line? <laughs> if the answer to that question is no, I'm going to require a skill check on that bad boy. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, uh, because so much of tabletop role-playing games involves things that are completely outside of the realm of real reality, we've got fantasy and sci-fi all the time in mm-hmm. these. So, for example, in D&D, there's the Arcana check, Knowledge of Magic. If a player says, oh, can I investigate this magical thing? Well... If there was magic in the real world, you could do that. Do you? How do you draw the line with things like that? Things that are just impossible in this world, but in the game, do exist. Well, think about it this way. Again, we're going to go back to the, the old standard of, can Logan Johnson do this thing? America's sweetheart. But you called it yourself your ras- a rascal earlier. So. Yeah, I am both. Oh, all right. So, if America's sweetheart and rascal cannot do this thing, then it needs to be checked. So think about it this way, right? If I've got a frog in front of me, Okay. Right, and I need to determine if that frog was sick before it died. I cannot do that thing. Sure, sure. Despite the fact that there are frogs and there is biology, and I've even dissected a frog before, right. I cannot. Okay. I could not tell you if it had been sick before it died. Difficulty class check. So the same thing with magic. Is this underneath magical influence, for example, or is this used in magic? You would say the same thing. Based on, I essentially wouldn't have knowledge of this even if I existed in that world. Right. Huh. Another way, if if you're having a hard time and maybe you've severely overestimated my abilities, I have become a larger-than-life celebrity in between season one and season two. Obviously. And so if you overestimate my abilities, create an an NPC, just like the dopiest guy. Like in Fire Emblem Awakening, this guy's name is Donald. He's a farm boy. You can recruit him onto your team. He can later become a knight. It's a very emotionally driving storyline. But for the entire time, as an NPC, he wears a paw on his head. So that tells you <laughs> this guy's whole thing. His first weapon's a pitchfork. It's unreal. 
<laughs> he if, wears a pot on his head. I love if it. If that man cannot do it, if this dopey NPC that you create cannot do the thing, it needs to be checked. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Just like, if it's above, if it's straining credibility at all, check. Hmm. Ladder, doesn't need a climb check. Rope, probably doesn't need a climb check if it's against a wall. Right. If it's like a free rope, probably. Right. Interesting. So I'm starting to develop a rule when I play uh, that I use DCs if I can come up with both a good fail state and a good success state for that. Which, if they're just looking for information, it's easy. I give them the information or I don't give them the information. But if I can't come up with both a good fail and success state for it, I do not give a die check. I agree with that to a degree, but I disagree with it to other degrees. Okay, explain. I think what you mean to say is if, you, if, there's n- if no progress is made from a fail. For example, like if it's a door to a treasure room, it's okay if they can't get it open. Right. They have other options. But if that door stays locked, you're going to have a problem. Right? So, or if it's not a door to a treasure room and it stays locked, I mean. Right. So if, like if, if it's the door to... If the to... plot is behind that door, right. you can't yeah. keep it locked. If uh, An example of this, let's use Star Wars, uh, New Hope specifically, when they go and rescue Princess Leia. Once they get into the jail cell area, they take like 30 seconds to actually find Princess Leia and open up her door. There is no reason in real life that that would be that easy. Right. But the plot requires that they rescue Princess Leia, and we see them do other things up to that point that they do have to overcome and get past to get to that point. And if they cannot get the door to the princess's jail cell open, yeah, the, the movie whole, is over. The whole thing's over. If they get discovered as stormtroopers, the movie's not necessarily over. Right. Right. So think about it this way when you're creating class checks. If you have a door that has the plot behind it, your difficulty check can still exist. It just needs to be, okay, it, like let's say they're trying to pick the lock to the door, right? Sure. It needs to be either they succeed and open the door or they open the door but they do it loudly. Right. You, it can't be a pass-fail. You need to come up with more interesting narrative, which I think brings us to our next question, which is how do you set the number? Ah, yes. So I'm going to talk about one of the campaigns I'm running right now. In... I'm running two different versions of a module that uh, Wizards of the Coast put out for 5e, Princes of the Apocalypse. It's fine. It's not my favorite module, but I'm enjoying it well enough. And in it, there are there are some groups of people that use various symbols. They're cults, and they use symbols. And some of the players discovered one of these cult symbols, and it is so pivotal to the entire module what these symbols mean. And one of the characters who was brand new to the game said, well, can I roll a check on it? And I said, yeah, go ahead and make an Arcana check for this. Because they were a wizard and I thought that was appropriate. And they rolled, they got a natural 20, and they got a plus 5. So natural 20 and 25 total. And it has often been my experience in the past to then just divulge all possibly relevant information because they got a perfect score, essentially. But in that moment, I stopped and went, if I give away all the information, the entire mystery of the campaign falls apart, and this campaign no longer is interesting in the way right. that it is. So I thought to myself, what can I tell them that makes them feel like they earned something, but doesn't give everything away? And I said, you recognize this as one of four different symbols. You know that there's some way connected to this, 
but you can't remember what this symbol means. And so I gave them a lot of information. Right. And then they said, oh, I bet it's this based on how it looks. And they made their own inference, and they happened to be correct. Right. But I didn't tell them if they were or not. There's still the possibility in their mind that they're not. Totally. And that, I think, was part of setting the number. So I try to set essentially a couple of stages with numbers based on that experience. The first is anything below this is just a failure. Right. And I do that on a number of things. How difficult I think the thing actually is to do, how difficult I think it is for their character to do, and how bad the outcome is if they fail. Right. So usually my standard is 10 or below is just a failure on things. That's just usually my go-to. And sometimes if it's something that should be just really easy for that character, I'll even lower that, though. Like, if they're a wizard making an arcana check, I might just lower it to, like, 8. Because right. they're just skilled at it. But then I'll also set, like, a mid-tier success. Like, oh, anything from, t from 11 to 17, they partially succeed. It's a partial victory. And then anything above that is a full victory. Yeah, so Monster of the Week is the game that the other role-playing game we play a fair bit of. And Monster of the Week does this. You roll two D6s, zero to six, or one to six. Two yeah. to six, I guess is what it would be. Yeah. Because you roll two. Two to six is a failure. Right. And then from uh, seven, to ten, seven to nine yep. is a partial success, and then ten to twelve is a full success. Um, and Monster of the Week is funny because... Full success means you just do what you wanted to do. Yep. Partial success is you do, but you do it mess like in a messy way right. that causes problems. And then that bottom tier is a hard failure. Right. Where the the keeper, as it's called in that game, gets to make a hard move against the player. Right. Things are bad for the player at that point. So like in the adventure we ran, one of the roles they have you do is investigate a mystery, right? Right. And uh Greg's character, Bo, made a hard failure investigating a mystery. Right. And so I took a hard move where his school principal and his dad, his character's dad, conspired against him, essentially, to like keep a close eye on him and make sure he was okay. Right. Which is the worst thing that can happen to teenagers in TV serials. Right. <laughs> right. Particularly investigating teenagers in TV serials. Yeah. Because they need to do a lot of things that are not exactly legal. Right. Yeah, 100%. So, like, this, this causes some serious problems to that character. That's a hard move that I took. And it's it's hard in the sense that I have done something that will cause him problems, but it's soft in the sense that it actually gives me more options later down. Right. I didn't do anything immediately bad. So there's all kinds of things that you can do with that three-tiered system, and I think it's a great way of mm -hmm. doing things. And I think the trick is a sliding scale. How likely do you want it to be that they will get the best result out of this? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of best results, what happens when they roll a 20? What do you do? Everybody has a different philosophy here. Yeah, so the, the two schools of thought are godlike success and the other school is possibility of failure. Even, right. Right? Like, right. Like realistic. Did they make the number or didn't they? Right. Uh, the huh. Can I reference Shrek? We were complaining that our audience didn't get enough Shrek. Yeah, we weren't. They were. Oh, They've right. been a mob. So My most astute fans will know that that is a joke I've now used on two podcasts. <laughs> so in Shrek, the original Shrek... There's a great scene, spoilers by the way, if you haven't seen this 18-year-old film. Do we need to, I think we should create a segment just for Shrek. Just for Shrek. Can we call it the Shrekshin? Like the section, but Shrek? The Shrek Files? <laughs> oh, that's good. 
<laughs> the Shrek files. Oh man. The Shrek files. The uh. Oh, the Shrek's files. The Shrek's files. The Shrek's files. No. Uh, first I'm ep- Shrexy and I know it. Oh no. The first. The first of uh, the Shrek's files can be uh, the swamp case. Case of the swamp thing. Sure. Case of the swamp thing. No, but in Shrek, they Donkey and Shrek go in and. They are in the dragon's lair looking for the princess, and Donkey gets captured by the dragon. Right, and then Shrek says, Scully, you're not going to believe this. Right, uh, as Shrek does in the Shrek's files. Uh, but no, Gosh, I'd watch that TV show. I would, I would be afraid to. <laughs> oh, but I would. <laughs> we should make it. Um, and then Donkey proceeds to, for lack of a better term, seduce the dragon. Yeah. Okay. I don't care who you are in D&D. Where I, you're from. What you did. I don't think that rolling a natural 20 on a charisma check is going to make it so that you successfully seduce a dragon who's going to eat you. See, I don't know. This is the, I think this is where we disagree. I think it is. Because <laughs> it worked for Donkey, and that's a great movie. Yes, I agree. But my campaigns tend to be... Hmm. Darker? And less lighthearted is how I try to run then that. Then what? Then Shrek. Oh, okay. <laughs> then Shrek, for example. I was like, because Monster of the Week's not exactly cheery. That's no. the campaign we're running right now. No, it's not. But uh, no, on the spectrum, even of storytelling you can do in role-playing games, I tend to go for the more serious, more grounded. Sure. Whereas when I play Dungeons & Dragons specifically, I go lighthearted. Right. Because I think Dungeons & Dragons is just a big joke. Sure. But... <laughs> As you talk about it on your podcast. I, I have talked about this at length. I think Dungeons and Dragons is really silly and really fun, and that's what I like about it. Right. I don't think it lends itself well to super good storytelling. Although we got a Baldur's Gate module coming, and I might disagree with myself. More on that later. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but I'm the opposite. On a natural twenty, they are godlike in their success. Right. If it's a pickpocket deities wouldn't have seen them pick that pocket. Right. They are the lightning thief at that point. And that ruling can be super fun. It can also be really fun if it's like, no, this is an impossible thing. But man, you got a partial success. That's worth something. Like, that 20 means you partly succeeded. Yeah, If again, I, I like to make it heroic and epic and legendary in scale. I mean, you know, we all have different ways of doing that as dungeon masters. Some people go for the the awe-inspiring victory. Some people go for the Mortal Kombat gory death scene. Sure. Uh, everybody's kind of got their own fun way of doing it, but I think the most important thing is that you continue, whether you make it perfect or not, you continue to make it exciting when 20s are rolled. Yes. Because the second Absolutely. that it's just a regular success, you've you've lost the magic of, of a critical hit. Yep. I agree. I think it's time to beg. Oh man, I haven't begged in so, so long. Welcome to the Beggar's Corner. This is the part of the show where we talk to you about how you, the adoring fans, can talk to us. Man, we have a lot of ways for people to contact us, don't we? Oh, yeah, we're up high now. 
We've got Twitter. We touched the net. Mom, we touched the net. <laughs> we got Twitter. We got Instagram. We do have regular old email. Uh, technically, we have a YouTube channel that has zero videos. Yeah, that's true. Man, we'll get some classic bits up there, though. Yeah, we will. If somebody wants to make an animated version of us talking about behind the Sabrina screen, let us know. Or, you know, anything of the show that's actually valuable. Right. Uh, but no, almost everything is initiative underscore role, isn't it? Yeah, except for the email. Which except is for the email. Initiative role, R O L E, at gmail.com. Our blog, where you can find episode listings and the really pithy blog posts that I write for every single one of these episodes, it's initiative role, R O L E, dot blogspot.com. I forgot we had a blog for a second. Yeah, it, it has to exist to like, right. create the podcast feed. It has to exist. So, yeah. Yeah. This. It, it might be time for us to buy a domain. We've been going at this for a really long time. A domain, don't look at me like that. A domain is like eight bucks for two years. Oh, okay. And we just, t- we, it would, we wouldn't have to like pay for website or anything. We just throw that on the blog. Yeah, fair enough. We're getting close to a year, aren't we? In November, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we took a hiatus, but yeah. We've been at this for a minute. It might be time to get a URL. Okay. We'll, we'll be accepting gifts of URLs and treats in Israel. We'll take either one. Trees in Israel? Trees in Israel. Oh, trees in Israel. Or like trees in Palestine. You can do that. You can buy a tree in Palestine for somebody. Huh. Like you donate a tree to Palestine in their name. It's actually a really cool gift. Huh. I'd rather take a star. That's also cool. Tree in Palestine is a little bit more giving to our fellow men. Fair enough. Or I think you can gift wells in Africa, too. That's a fun thing to do. What a weird culture well, we have. It's just a way of saying, like, I thought of you. And I know that you're the kind of person who would appreciate a well being dug in Africa instead of something for yourself. Huh. Right? Yeah, no. Like, I'd be thrilled if somebody dug a well in Africa in my name. Noted. Logan wants a well dug in Africa. I want a lot of things done, all right? No. Uh, so who are we dedicating this episode to? Oh, easy. Easy dub. Uh, this is an easy pick. We, we're dedicating this one to our good friend, George Railroad Martin. All right. Now, I have never watched Game of Thrones, read Game of Thrones, or, to my knowledge, interacted with anything that he has made. Yeah, but you're going to play Elden Ring, right? I'm definitely going to play Elden Ring. I'm playing Elden Ring. Yeah. Video game coming out this year? No, dude, no. 12 years from now? No, from not that Well, what will probably happen, because it's being worked on by George R.R. Martin, is... They'll write the first half of the game. And we'll get the first half, and it'll be really good and really interesting. And yeah. then we'll have to wait for the rest of the game to come out. For Elden Ring 2. But they won't put Elden Ring 2 out until we have the board game, which covers the entire... Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Just so long as we're clear. Which is why we picked George R.R. R. Martin. Because he takes a long time to make sequels, and it took us a long time to get on this season 2 grind. I think our last episode was... I'm curious now. I'm... I'm going to take a look. I'm scared. I'm pulling it up now. Initiative roll. Oh, I'm so scared. Oh, it's long enough my internet history doesn't remember I was on our blog. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. May 13th. Jeez. Holy fuck! I mean, it's only been two months. I Yeah, but look, if you read the episode description that I wrote, it says, hey, all... We're hoping to be back in the proverbial saddle with some regular episodes soon. Oh, boy. We're bad at it. Oh, boy. So that's why we dedicated this one to George R.R. Martin, because if they can forgive him, they can forgive us. We don't have nearly the fan following. <laughs> no, we don't need it either. I'm confident, all right? Spiritually, emotional. What? I'm just looking at some of the old episode descriptions. What is 
Smells like teen spirit animal Daphne. <laughs> Dude, we've said some stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, so if you're still listening to this podcast, just you forgave George Railroad Mari and you can forgive us, right? I hope so. That's what that's what I'm working under. All right, well, thanks for sticking with us during that break in the beggar's corner. Uh, we're back for one last segment uh, that, like, I almost said famous listeners. I mean dedicated listeners will be familiar with. Um, this is the Bard Corner. Yeah. Side note, I've been having a great time today. More fun than I've had probably on any other episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, let me take, that, take you behind the curtain real quick. I'll mute it. So they're going to love this new content. Yeah. Oh, they man, they're going to love it so much. All right, I'll go ahead and unmute now. So should we should we tell them about the new content? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, we're still okay. Oh, we're gonna have to edit this. This is gonna be rough. Oh, are we starting now? Yeah. Okay, I'll go ahead and unmute it. So in the bard corner, normally we talk a little bit about like adventures we've run, things that we're doing. We actually have a lot of our fingers in a lot of proverbial pies right now. A lot of them. So we've decided a better way to run the bard corner is rather than taking full adventures and breaking them down is to take the best scenes out of adventures that we run and, and quickly highlight them. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the pies that yes. we have our fingers in. And that might be most of what we do today, is just talk about the That's pies. all we're doing today. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be done here shortly. Um, so talk about your campaigns. You said you have two Princes of the Apocalypse campaigns. I do. One is text-based. Yeah, one we're doing in Discord. Mm-hmm. And that's working reasonably well. It's slow. Anything you do over text is slow. Not always, but like if you can find the right people for it, you can get it rolling fast, but sure. I'm not the right person. You are not it. the right person for that. I'm slow. But everything you put in is great. Yeah, so. I know. I, I really turn out that quality capital C content for my boys. Uh, the other one I'm doing is one I do in person every other week with basically anybody who I can get to get together for that. That's not part of our regular group. Right. Uh, and that one's going really well, too. But I just have a new rule with it just because it took us a month last time to get people together. No, six weeks. And so I just said, look, if I can get four people together, we're just going to play. And if you're not there, we'll just fill you in on what happened last time. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. And for that one, it seems like it's going to work really well. Right. The third one that I'm going to be starting up here in about two weeks is really interesting. I was listening to my mother-in-law and her husband... That's this campaign. That's this campaign. They were talking Game of Thrones. That's another reason to dedicate, dedicate this one to Martin. Right. You they were, were talking about it. They weren't sure about that when I pitched that. This is a good one to dedicate And to they were getting into it, like, just the nitty-gritty of the show. And they were debating their favorite parts of it. You know, standard talk for nerds. And I just texted them both afterwards, and I was like, look. You're you in it. <laughs> you are in the thick of it. And I have a campaign we can run called Horde of the Dragon Queen, the first 5e module published by Wizards of the Coast. Oh, really? Yep. It's not going to be great, but it's going to be really easy for them to learn how to play D&D because they've never played before, and they both said that they're on board, and I'm going to make some characters for them, and we're going to play. And cool. we're going to see how it goes. 
So that should be fun. Yeah, that should have some moments. I know both of them, and they're both great. I bet they'll play the game really well. I hope so. I really hope so. Her dad actually used to play the original game. Tom? No, no. Uh, oh. My mother-in-law's dad used to play. Oh, no way. That's where we got the books uh, when we did that episode on Gary ah, Gygax. Right. Cool. They were his books. So Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. I just accepted the gift as it came. Right? <laughs> From the stars. What about your uh, campaign that you're running? Let's talk Monster of the Week. Yeah, I'll give a little bit of an overview of the pitch. All right, so there's multiple monsters um, is, like, the premise. Sure. You fight a different one, one at a time. Sometimes they have minions, sometimes they don't. Just depending on the monster. Yeah. Uh, different game uses the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Here's the, the premise pitch, though. Strange occurrences start happening in 1992 in Corte de Louisiana. All right? This is just outside of the Catahoula National Wildlife Reserve where most of these events take place. It's up to Dylan Peterson, noted blockbuster video employer, hometown creep, and weed smoker. <laughs> yeah, you've just described my character. And Bo Thompson, local high school student and half undead, to figure out what's going on. <laughs> these two characters have not met. Yeah, they haven't met. We've been at this for like two months now. This one's going to be slow going, I'll warn you. It's going to be slow going. Yeah. But that's what I'm that's what I'm cooking up right now. And it's fantastic. We will definitely be letting you know bits and pieces of that as time goes on. Yeah, in fact when we're done with the text based segment of it, we plan to record all of it. Yep. Like with character to voices and everything. It, yeah. It's we're it's excited. Good. It's good. It's very it's good. Some of the best stuff we've ever made. I'm pretty like mm, we've done some good work here. This is good. My, I'm gonna toot my own horn. I've done some good this is, here. This is you the You know best. what? You know what? I'm going to give a pitch, all right? Do you want to just do the opening? I'm going to give the opening pitch. So give me just a sec to pull this up on the old iPad. Shout out to my boy Steve Jobs. Well, while he takes a May minute to scroll up to the beginning piece. of that. Wow, we've made a lot of stuff. I've got it. Oh, you've got the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pale moon hangs above Catahoula Lake casting ghastly shadows into the nearby forest. The occasional chitter from a nocturnal animal breaks the near-perfect silence. The water ripples softly as a soft breeze blows across the cold, unforgiving surface of the lake. We follow those ripples to the other side of the lake where we see the stately manor, its porch facing the waterfront. The centuries-old paint is peeled, revealing ancient, rotting wood. The wispy web of a violin spider spreads itself across the doorway, it's clear nobody has been to this state in years. Even the few rangers that watch over the Catahoula National Wildlife Refuge have forgotten this place exists, though you could probably find a note about it buried under a mess of folders in one of the rusted filing cabinets at the refuge's office. We look up toward the upper floor of the manor home, where a steady blue light shines from a window on the east side. The wind picks up, stirring reeds and willows and rattling the old shutters to, that make a frail attempt at covering the manor's windows. As the wind begins to howl, we see the blue glow in the window brighten until it shines blindingly. Then, as if on cue, the wind stops and the light suddenly goes out. The dark, black waters of Catahoula Lake fall still, glassily reflecting the moon above, and the night is silent once again. 22 hours later and 31 miles away, just off of Highway 28, the sun sets on the sleepy town of Corte de Fleur. Like every Saturday night, most of the people in town have gone in for the night. But if you listen, you can hear motors revving as some of the wilder boys from Moreau High School peel out onto the 28, racing rusted-out Hondas and decrepit Fords against the blue and red lights that will inevitably follow. 
On Rousseau Drive, you can hear the sounds of a neighborhood barbecue dying off. As friends slowly scatter back to their homes on Pickler, on Pickler Street, you can hear the melodies of Marissa Chen's nightly piano practice, which lilts out of the open parlor window of her parents' home. And then we start playing from there. So that's the opening pitch. Yeah. And once we've got the whole thing down, we are going to dramatize it. We're going to record it all, and then we're going to do one of two things, one of three things. Yeah, we'll drop it in this feed, we'll either, or we'll make a new feed for it. Mm-hmm. Or we'll so, the other, so the options are we'll either drop it as a whole episode yeah. in this feed, or we'll create a new feed for it where we drop it as a whole episode. Or the other option I've been toying with, and I would like your feedback as listeners on this, at the end of the Bard Corner, we just drop like a five-minute segment, just like a scene, a mini-episode, as it were. Of Monster of the Week. Of Monster of the Week. We'll see. We, we will see. We'll see. We'll but see. we're that's we're cooking that up, so that's coming. Last thing to mention, Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus is the newest module for D and D Five E coming out in September. As a video game boy, a gamer boy, mm-hmm. I'm obligated to do two things: one, start belling, selling my bathwater; two, <laughs> two, I'm obligated to love Baldur's Gate. Those are the two things. Yeah. Those of you who don't understand that. Do not Google Gamer Girl Bathwater. Don't do it. Or do, but don't. don't. Please don't. don't. Please don't. Please don't. You'll, you're safer this way. There's a girl selling her bathwater. She's not even a real gamer. Makes me mad. What? Oh, we could... She's like literally... Is, I mean, she may play video games. What I mean is she's not like a streamer. Oh, okay. She's a model. Gotcha. That's her thing. She like cosplays as a model. Like I don't mean she's not a real gamer. She may play games. Probably does. But that's not but what that's she not does what professionally. She does sure. professionally. It's weird. Anyway, but I'm also obligated to love Baldur's Gate. So when that comes out, we might just have to play that. I think we do. So we'll see what happens. And when it comes around, you'll know that it's time. But as they say in business, watch this space. Don't look at me like I just said something foreign. That's something they say in business. I was going to our outro. And you cut me <laughs> off to make a weird <laughs> business analogy. But you didn't have to cut me off. Well, anyway, when Baldur's Gate comes out, you'll know that it's time. Wait, what's that? Oh my gosh, it's Gautier. <laughs> He's approaching you in the woods, treading lightly, and you realize that it's time to roll initiative. <laughs>